time too. Like well, at least super heavy for the time. Like I would listen to eighty nine three. My parents hated it. Like it was Cannibal Corpse and Suffocation and Prophecy and Deicide and like I was just getting just chunky, chunky doses of just you know late eighties, early nineties, just super death metal. What is up, guys? How you doing? My name is Anthony Sosa, and this is As an Artist, a local famous records podcast about local artists, their art, the creative process, and the local scene. On this episode, we have Glenn Wallace, and Glenn and I have known each other since 2004 uh, up in Denton via the Raven Charter. Uh, and we even briefly played together in a band, House Fire, in 2009. Glenn is a very skilled multi-instrumentalist, very skilled guitarist. And we talk about the process of writing for viola, piano, and guitar, as well as his 8-bit project, Code Crasher, who actually does the theme song that you just listened to. Uh, and we get into death metal and teaching lessons and Star Wars and video games, band chemistry, and the Dallas scene in the late 90s, among other things. Also, uh, stick around at the end of the conversation to check out the song Contemplate, which is written and performed by Glenn. One more thing before we get started. Um, this will be the last episode of 2021. We're going to take the time to record some more interviews so we can come back with a consistent schedule in 2022. If you are interested in being interviewed for the podcast, please reach out to Local Famous Records on Instagram or on Twitter or send us a Gmail. Uh, localfamousrecords at gmail.com. Glenn is a fun guy to talk to, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Cheers. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's good. I'm just glad you told me that you weren't doing the theme music because yeah. I would have just sat here waiting to hear it. <laughs> like, Where's it at? Yeah, it would have been like, it well, would have been it would be a really funny podcast outtake, one that's just like thirty minutes of just wait. me waiting for the song. Like, <laughs> Glenn, you're like, is it time yet? I don't hear the song. So actually, speaking of the song, you wrote it. I did write it. <laughs> so what is uh, what was so what do I guess real quick? Okay, we'll start it now. Let's yeah. do that. Let's start it now. I'm, um, I'm in. So, Glenn, thank you very much for coming. Coming. Thank coming. you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, what I want to talk, I want to talk to you about just a few things. Um, essentially the creative process that you go through when you're creating your art, what your influences or who your influences are and have been, uh, to influence you and, you know, kind of then your perspective of other artists in this scene, DFW, and you can take scene to loosely mean like whatever you want. Um, sounds good. I can do that. Sweet. So I guess I'll start with the Code Crasher thing, since I was just asked, asking you about that. What's uh, what's 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 that like? Like, what's uh, what's all that? What's all that about? Explain I, Code Crasher. I mean, honestly, the, and you know, because there's just the one tune out on Spotify. There's so much else that is written, and I'm just kind of. It's not a very serious thing, because it's just so fun to do. Because it's just it's just computer, you know, it's eight bit retro video game inspired you know stuff uh that is you know kind of all the uh 
I'm throwing all my music theory and just like nerd music, you know, <laughs> scientist stuff into all these beeps and boops. And it make you know, it's this wonderful kind of uh, uh, combination of just, it's like the ultimate nerd <laughs> music and I love it. And because it's so much fun, um, you know, is why there's not as, as much out there, but that's what it is to me. You ask like, it's, it is, it is my fun, uh, it's my fun project. Not that my other stuff isn't fun, but this one is, uh, it's definitely the most, you know, labor of love just because I love those old video games. The, the music from like old video games, you know, I think I recognized those tunes before, like I knew like popular music. So like mm, just some of the, some of the note choices in there and everything, uh, it just kind of stuck with me. I remember. So I love, I love what you're doing with that stuff. Like it, it, it really does kind of nail the nostalgic type of vibe or feeling of kind of like you're saying, like, I never thought about it before like that, but there's definitely early childhood memories that I have where I was like sitting in front of a little television, you know, maybe black and white sometimes here, just jamming out to the Ninja Turtles NES soundtrack. Oh, that was, that you know, had, that had like, some rocking riffs on it. Man. Just put pause, push pause and just like, let it run for a while. Yeah. It was awesome. Same thing with, with the Legend of Zelda. And, and I don't know, like I, you kind of taking where, you know, taking that and doing some beautiful stuff with it, I think, I think is awesome. So what, what video games? I mean, <clears throat> dude, like there's, it's almost too many, uh, to to list um you know of i all the kind of classic um you know all of nintendo's intellectual property like at the beginning like they all, always made sure that all those soundtracks uh rock but i think the one that really kind of started to make me um kind of turn my ear towards it was probably um you know the mega man and the castlevania series cuz something about the mega man just had this like driving like I don't know. It it very like you're a, a robot with a gun hand, and you're you're just always running to the right. You're blowing everything up trying to save the world, and that music really seemed to fit that theme very well. Yeah. It's like if I'm gonna just constantly be running with a gun hand, I'm never looking back. Everything's trying to kill me. The whole world depends on me. I want this to be my soundtrack. Like this will keep me going. Yeah. I don't know, and it just seemed to fit and. Um, when I started playing piano when I was, you know, I say four, but it could have been six. I mean, those memories are, so let's say between sure. four and six. Okay. Um, because I also really liked, you know, I honestly, it all really comes back to lasers. Okay. And let me, <laughs> let me help you out here okay. with that. Okay. Right. So I loved Star Wars. You know, there were, there were lasers, yes. there were laser swords. Okay. And I yes. loved swords cause I loved He-Man uh, as a kid. And there was, it was all about the swords. Right. And then, you know, in the games, I mean, you had a, a gun hand and sometimes it shot laser. I don't know. You know, I was a kid, like I just kind of linked shit and I love the Star Wars music uh, and uh, lasers is kind of a joke, but it is sort of true. <laughs> okay. Uh, Transformers also. A lot of lasers. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. yep. A lot of 80s. A lot so, of like 80s. 80s. I mean, just the 80s. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of stuff from the 80s that I didn't notice how much it was influencing me until way later because I actually would like make fun of certain things about the eighties a lot when I was like in my teens, not realizing just how much like <laughs> that played a role in like what I would do anyway. Um, so like, so I learned, well, hung, let me finish. So please. I, I wanted to learn the star Wars theme song and my dad taught it to me. And when I started, then I was like, okay, well let's learn Indiana Jones, you know, let's learn back to the future, Superman. So you kind of hit all the John Williams and, 
you know, whatever, just that one Alan Silvestri tune. And as I started to learn that, I started to kind of see how the notes moved. And then when I would play those games, because I played those all the time, I started to understand what was going on in there. So I could get on the piano and I could find those melodies. And then when I was able to make those melodies on an instrument, that was like, oh man, this is cool. Mm. Like, and I'm probably, you know, I don't know if I actually really, fi- I, I think one of the one, earliest ones I figured out was this very cheesy Mario level, which I'm, don't ask me to hum the music because I'm not going to do it. Uh, but uh, I figured it out and I played it in my piano class uh, at school because um, they were like, everyone get up and show your stuff. Uh, and that was maybe when I first, but I started to be able to figure things out. And that's when I started uh, in a lot of that video game music. Mm-hmm specifically the Mega Man and the Castlevania, because the Castlevania is very classical based. It's very Baroque. Like there's a lot of just like you could take, it's like Bach cantatas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sonatas and, and preludes. And it's, I mean, it's it's very, very Bach through like the first like four years. Everything's all these counterpuntal classical melodies, uh, but it's rocking. And then the Mega Man is extremely 80s rock, almost like bordering on some like early dream theater yeah. in some places. It's a very proggy. For sure. But it's done with all these beeps and boops. But when you transfer those arrangements onto these real instruments, all of a sudden, like you kind of, it's like, oh man, that that is awesome. Yeah. You know, you hear like some of these, you know, some of those video game cover bands, uh, which cracks me up is sometimes people will hear them and they'll be like, what is this? And it's like, oh, this is a, a video game and they're what this yeah. is a video game get out of here <laughs> but, you know it, it comes through uh so amazingly um you know things like the final fantasy or like the uh, zelda music you know they'll they perform the zelda music with orchestras and you listen to some of the newer games like if you keep up with any mm-hmm. and you know it's all more ambient uh, you know ambience i don't know if i'm saying that right uh but uh you know, they have these very beautiful orchestrated soundtracks and it's almost like they were thinking like that way back then and, you know, able to pull these really great melodies out of this this very limited technology. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think I just love the whole concept of it. I loved it when I was a kid because of the way it sounded. I love being able to figure out the melodies. And then after I really just like nerded out down the rabbit hole about, you know, everything about the music and those games, like I, I loved it any you know, even, even more. And I kind of, I put a little of that, um, stuff kind of into everything, uh, you know, everything I play, I'm always kind of, yeah, I'm always trying to give it like to pretend like it's accompanying something. Like, I wish I knew how to animate because I would just make so many music videos of just, you know, just epic shit, you know, happening and with, with something driving it the whole time. So that's always kind of where I'm at when I'm writing, like it's, it's, there is a lot of visual in my head and sometimes okay. it's not even like, it's not like it's detailed as like, there's a person and they're walking down the road and there's a, they have a gun hand or <laughs> something. I'm big on the gun hand. I always think that's dope. Um, you know, it could, it, sometimes it's just colors. I don't know. Like, I don't know, man, like the, the color purple, like, I don't know. I like the color purple. I don't like wear a lot of purple, but like when I paint, I'm always doing like purple, and blue mixtures or purple and something. It's just like colors. So a lot of times just thinking of a certain color will kind of give me a certain vibe or something. And I don't know if, you know, maybe there was a song in my youth that I heard that that color was just present when I heard it. But yeah, I mean, my influences come from. uh, So it's like a little. So to me, it sounds like like there's a there's a through line, but like 
we started off kind of talking about Code Crasher, which I'm actually glad that we did now because it ties us back to this early, early, you know, video game experience as a young child. And then like all of the music we've talked about so far, everyone that you've listed, John Williams, you know, all of those video games, the Mega Man stuff, all that's very complicated music. <laughs> you know, Castlevania, you know. It does. But, it's got a lot of stuff going on in there. And so like, I mean, and as a player, as a song, as a writer, like you... You also like to me, tell me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, tend to enjoy and, uh, you know, experimenting with or playing in like these proggy or ex experimental is maybe not the right word, but do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just where you're, you know, you're kind of, um, I mean, you're always, you want to write a good, you want to write a good tune, but there's also, there's just this kind of like driving thing of like, how far can I push this envelope of like, it's not even sometimes that it's technically hard. It's just like musically comprehensible. Like, can I comprehend it enough to pull off this? Like, I think this amazing, just like, you know, uh, whatever, whether, whether you're trying to cross two genres together or, you know, uh, I don't know, throw in some kind of groove. That's just like, it's super unorthodox, but I'm going to make you like it. Um, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, there's a lot of th people out there, there's a lot of good musicians out there that, you know, they really do kind of like, especially for like the average listener, somebody who's not a musician, you know, they kind of really push what your ears able to digest um, and get. And if you can find a way to do it, I don't know, man, it's super cool when you can you can you can break through to people with uh, something where you're like using your brain. It's not just like and don't get me wrong, man. There's nothing wrong with writing a song to sell a record. And that that whole skill, like it's not that I'm not will. I just don't know if it's in my wheelhouse. Like that's a thing right mm -hmm. there. Being able to go get up there and write a three chord song with three chords that have already been done and, you know, give it your own spin and 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 make a record and and make a living. That's awesome. For me, uh, I'm always more into the actual musical process. Um, I've never been much of a singer, so I never really uh, worked that hard at it. And I did have a period where I wrote songs, but it was always more about the notes. And when I fi started figuring out the things that you can do with the notes and why certain ones go together, then it was like, okay, well, how do I break these rules? Uh, so you and, can read music, right? Correct. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I, so I, let's let's go back young. a little bit now. That, now that we've kind of talked about that, so so okay, now you're 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 learning piano and you're figuring out these these video game songs and Star Wars and stuff like that. So then, how does how do you get from that to kind of like maybe the mid two thousands when I met you when you're like already shredding guitar and stuff? So, you know, I the my my dad got me in he taught me for a little while uh and he was pretty good like he had great he had a really good ear um and he could figure just about anything out i i never know if he really got down on his like chops but uh he had a great ear like he taught me all that stuff by ear and then you know i mean i remember him playing you know moonlight sonata and you know a couple other uh scheherazade and a couple other you know mm. classical pieces that he really really liked um but so I got into classical music and because I got into that and I was into the John Williams, I got into strings and I had a buddy that was an orchestra and he said it was fun. So I was like, well, I'm going to go, um, you know, and this was like in the fourth grade. Uh, and I wanted to play upright bass because I just thought it looked really dope. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And the first day I was like, nope. Like, I mean, because I was, uh, you know, not that I've ever like been a freaking like athletic beefcake, but like I was really, really scrawny, like in the fourth grade. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, I remember picking up that bass and being like, uh-uh, not going to happen. You know, like I already suck at every sport. Like this is just going to be a bad thing. And so I was decided I would try the cello. And I didn't like sitting down like that. It just like felt weird. Honestly, I wish cello had been the one I'd stuck with because that is probably one of the most beautiful instruments in the world. And it is kind of like uh, a bass guitar where it just has this like, uh, I think bass and bass guitar and cello, um, I suppose upright bass too, but there's something about the way cello resonates, have the most unbelievable range of stuff that you can create with where it's all still good. Like some instruments don't, they don't sound good down low or they don't sound good up high. I feel like, you know, like a, a nice bass guitar, you know, set up nice, you know, with the right person, like Victor Wooten makes great rate, mm. you know, the low register, really good stuff up here. And then so can a cello. You can, mm. you can play really low, but it's not muddy. And then up here it's high, but it's not piercing your ear. There's still a fullness to it. Anyway, sorry, I could rave about that for a bit. Yeah, no. So I got into the strings and th that didn't work. And so I tried violin and that was too small. And so I tried viola and I was like, okay, well, there's none left and I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to do this. And this one seems different and I'm kind of weird and different. So viola it is. And that kind of helped me start to learn a lot about harmony because viola is one of those instruments that um, to the average listener, if it's missing, they're going to be like, if it's not, they're going to listen to a song that maybe like an orchestral song and they're not going to be able to tell you what's what. And if you take the viola out, they're going to be like, something's missing, but I'm not sure what it is. And the viola oftentimes, uh, and there's places where it takes the lead, but oftentimes is just filling in these, uh, you know, these harmony notes um, a lot of times, or maybe these rhythms that kind of complete a part. It's a very auxiliary uh, instrument. You, you don't see a whole lot of stuff where it's a real strong viola lead. It's usually the cellos or the violins. And, you know, even in some of these uh, much larger orchestra pieces, um, you know, then you have uh, where you have like a full uh, brass and uh, woodwind and string section, you know, the the violas really don't don't get a lot of love. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's so many big trumpet lines in those famous, you know, movie. Uh, there's um, there's a lot of cello stuff. There's, of course, a lot of violin. Um, I'm sure there's some viola that I'm just not thinking of, but I will say it's it is the one where people say what what do you play violin? You say viola. A lot of, there are a lot of people, unless you're a musician, they go, what? Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's one of those, but it was cool. Cause I learned about harmony and I'm starting to learn about this theory and I'm playing the piano. And then finally I start, um, I start, I have this friend who plays guitar, like, and I don't know, like he kind of had like the whole like image thing. Like I know, he wore Metallica t-shirts and like, had long hair and he had a band and like it was just like cool because like he was a really good musician and he didn't know the things that i knew about music but like he was a great writer and guitar player i mean we were seventh and eighth grade but like he was freaking good for back then and you know it was like everything from metallica to like you know one of um it's a band called the residents if you've ever heard i have not heard really of old okay. uh apparently he got real into nine inch nails and i guess according to him that was one of the influences or it had something it was some sort of connection like okay. like this is like early industrial music and so he was really into that stuff and it was cool you know having this this friend who was a musician but they were different you know like i had all this 
knowledge and a lot of these things that, that, that he didn't, but yet there was a lot of stuff that he had that I didn't. And he played guitar and I only played piano and viola. Mm -hmm. And I would start to hear things in music like, and I'd be like, oh, that's an electric guitar. You know, like I'd hear, you know, like whatever, some kind of line, like, you know, like, I, I don't know. It was in like a Coca-Cola commercial. I, I don't know. I don't know which one. And uh, and I was like, man, that's cool. And I, I couldn't do that on viola or piano. Um, and so I started hearing all this stuff that I wanted to hear on a guitar. And that's when I, you know, kind of got after my folks. I was like, I, you know, I really, you know, want to get one. And eventually, I think it was on my after my 15th birthday, they got me this uh, Strat. Uh, from Guitar Center, it was a crate amp, a uh, little solid state, and then like a DOD yellow overdrive pedal. Nice. And I remember that I was all like shitty about it because because I'm such a fucking brat sometimes. <laughs> but like, uh, I really could be. I, I, I could be a shit. Were you wanting the boss pedal or something? Well, or the what? thing was, no, I didn't. Well, I, you know what? Honestly, it's not that it, my dad totally probably would have gotten for me. I just didn't know shit. So I was like, I want uh, a distortion pedal or something. And like the guy just handed me that. And I was like, okay. Like, I didn't know that there was more than one. Like, you know, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I, I didn't know that there were, you know, one million pedals out there. Like, I just thought it was just like, it was just a distortion pedal. You just got it. And he was like, what kind? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, so had I known, you know, about the metal zone or just, which, you know, I eventually did and went through the same thing that everybody does. It's awesome. And then like three years later, it's like kind of does one thing, but <laughs> like, it's still got a place in, in history. Metal um, zone and metal core. Yeah. But I didn't know any, so, and it, whatever. Um, but, uh, and then I, I remember my mom got me this book and I can't remember the guy's full name, but he was, I remember his first name cause it was Wolfgang. And nice. that's like the second person I've ever known that had that name. The first one, I didn't actually know him because it's Mozart. He's <laughs> dead. Uh, but like, yeah, that's not a common one. Nope. I guess Eddie Van Halen's son. But again, I don't know that guy either. Sure. Um, isn't that his name? I don't know. I that, think it that is. That sounds right. I think it is. It, it, it's um, a good name. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome name. It's got wolf in it. <laughs> I mean, that's, come on, dude. That's badass. Uh, yeah, cool name. Anyhow, um, <laughs> Wait, where are we at? So yeah, my guitar. And it was this book, and it had tab in it, and it gave you the pentatonic scale and like a couple of riffs. And I was really, I'd gotten really into Metallica in the past like year, um, and I just kind of started with that, and then eventually started when I could read tab, I started getting the Metallica tab books, mm. and um, just learning them. I, I loved the music too, so I was listening to all of the music, you know. And a lot of you know, I teach, you know, as my main gig, you know, I've been doing the guitar teaching thing for, I mean, gosh, you know, 16, 17 years now. Um, and a lot of kids, man, they don't actually like listen to a lot of the stuff they're learning. Like it's crazy, you know? Uh, yeah. 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 I've noticed that as well. Yeah. It's really wild, man. It's like, they'll be like, I want to learn this. And then, you know, we transcribe it and everything and they just have the music. And I guess you can do that with classical music. I you think, can even find recordings of that. I think a lot of it has to do with the apps that they use. Um, I've noticed some of them that I'm not very familiar with, but I've watched them pull things up on their phone where it's it's like showing them kind of as the song goes, like what chords it is or like what notes it is. It's not, and I think it's like a user created thing where it's not always accurate, but they'll be listening to the MIDI version of the song rather than like the actual song. Oh, yeah. You know? And it's like, I agree with you, where like th that needs to be a phase that needs to be made clear that part of the process is spending time just listening to it over and over and over again. Like that's, you have to take the time to it do that. It is. You have to listen with intent. 
uh, you, you really, I mean, and I guess it matters, you know, how much you can open your ear. I mean, when it's like what you love, if for me, it was, you know, maybe technically to execute some stuff or like, you know, figure it out. But, but the actual thing of just like giving myself the time to really dive in to some of that stuff and just listen, just, just mm-hmm. to hear everything. That was easy. I could do that again and again and again. And uh, so it made it very easy to get very familiar with a lot of those melodies. And I definitely think that takes, you know, that's, well, it helps because then, then when you're learning an instrument, you know, it makes it a little bit easier because if you, I've always, um, and granted, I I think one of the only things that really, you know, once you've mastered this, the only thing that stands in your way is just technique and practice. But like, if you can really start to hear in your head, which not everybody can do, but if you can hear in your head what you want to come out on the instrument, even if you haven't tried it yet, like you're you're on the right path yeah. because you're gonna you're gonna kind of be in the in it, especially you know, you have to know your instrument a little bit too, but you're gonna be in the right area to to make that happen. And I think a lot of times people they don't know what the sound mm-hmm. is supposed to be, and it's because they're learning, you know, a, a piece of, you know, music, you know, whether it's an Eagles song or a Metallica song. But you gotta you gotta listen to that too. Yeah. And and to know if you're playing it right. Then you have some basis of cons- com- comparison. And yeah, listening, uh, I, I get a lot of my students and, you know, it, even some good ones do this, but like they're reading on their phone. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're reading on their phone and I'm like, man, like I know you have like young eyes and, you know, you're you're younger than me and can probably see better, but like that's a phone, dude. Yeah. Like don't, so don't read on that. How many of your students are in a band? Oh gosh, I don't think any of them right now. Uh, I have some that you know they have some ensemble stuff at at schools, um, and I've got a. I recently had a whole lot of students, um, you know, ch- change over. So I have a bunch of okay. ones that have just. I have a lot of piano students right now. Oh okay. Um, and so you know they. Piano students usually, at least I don't know when I was growing up, it's like you joined jazz band and then like. I don't know. You started joining like band bands, like in college, like I'm, mm, I'm sure that's yeah, not yeah. everywhere, but just like, it was my experience in, in high school. Like, yeah. I don't know, just lugging a keyboard around. Yeah. Uh, I remember coming out to play a keyboard at, uh, at a, with a friend's band and, uh, bringing it out there and being like, this is a pain in the ass. Like, yeah, <laughs> this, so this what, sucks. when was that? For you? When was, uh, when did you start playing shows and with, with bands and groups and stuff? I started. Okay. So, I mean, my very first project, which we're just gonna throw in here because because I think it's funny, um, is I got I got my guitar and like I learned I practiced for about like you know two weeks or something and like I learned enough to to play play some stuff <laughs> and I called my friend Judson, uh, you know old friend he had a drum set that like he barely played I was like let's start a band um, like I've been playing guitar for like two weeks like let's go and he was like. <laughs> okay i mean all right come over this saturday and i mean we were terrible but like we wrote this i was all into like slayer and like i was really getting into like super heavy shit at that time too like well at least super heavy for the time like i would listen to 89.3 my parents hated it like it was cannibal corpse and suffocation and prophecy and deicide and like i was just getting just chunky chunky doses of just you know, late eighties, early nineties, just super death metal. So like I had all the, and you know, and I'm listening to all the lyrics and you know, stuff like I wasn't seeing the art cause 
Or when I would ride up to the CD store and I'd just be like, damn, I can't buy the CD and my mom will kill me. But like, this is badass. Like, I was all into that dark shit. Um, and uh, <laughs> so we wrote this song called Graduation of the Damned. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it was, all it was, I figured out the pomp and circumstance uh, theme on the guitar, but I was really bad at it. And then it just had this like, and then just like, all I could play was like F. And just the whole thing was that. And he didn't really, you know, he'd been playing drums for like a week also, you know, he didn't really understand blast beats. So it was just like, go, whoops, I hit the mic. And I don't even know if it was that tight. And then just and then we had a friend out there uh, awesome. who was supposed to play bass, but he he brought a guitar instead. And he was just like playing root notes, but on clean. And uh, we had one recording of it somewhere. But that was our only song. And I think we had like one more we tried. But that was my first little thing. My first band was with a guy named Jordan Williams, uh, who was a big Primus and Helmet fan <laughs> in high school. And, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a group. I can't remember what the hell we named ourselves, but... Uh, we never actually got to play any shows. It had kind of a falling out. The first shows were really, um, they were, uh, I guess you could call them gigs. Like I had to do community service in high school. Mm. So the first, you know, other than school, orchestral and jazz band performances, uh, it was like, um, I did, you had to do a hundred hours of community service at, at Jesuit, uh, your senior year. So you're in so DFW, I, right? Correct. Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. It's on Inwood road, uh, up by six thirty-five. And um, so you had to do that. And so I signed up to work at this thrift store with like me and two other friends. And like, it was terrible. Uh, it, it, was, it was just awful. And so um, two of my other friends, um, well, I think it was two or four, whatever. We had a drummer, a bass player, and then sometimes a keyboard player. Like he just like wouldn't show up sometimes. <laughs> um, but these other guys that hated their community service. So we asked the, the principal if we could uh, like try to, you know, go to like retirement homes or like play in like hotel lobbies, like for like events that maybe had something to do with Jesuit, uh, for our community service. And they said, yes, that's awesome. So yeah, it was really cool. So I, and I always kind of forget about this because, you know, I was in high school and they were, I mean, they were, they were not paying, they paid in community service hours, but it was a lot of fun, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so we, you know, we learned all these jazz standards and we, you know, we played them as well as we could. Um, I think at one point I had like a half stack or something in like a hotel because it was like the only amp I had <laughs> or something. That's awesome. Quickly. Uh, actually, no, I didn't learn about amp size for a while. It's like, no, it travels. doesn't matter how low you have it turned down because uh, I just wanted to play. Um, so those were like the first kind of gigs, you know, that that I had. And we did a bunch of those uh, senior year. Um, I joined or I joined the orchestra when I was at Loyola, New Orleans and uh and I mean, that was a fun school, but I just overall, like, I, I didn't really have a great, a great experience by the end. So, so I decided to come back, uh, back to Texas. And, um, that's when I met my buddy, uh, Nate Wadan and Adam Carter, uh, who, do you know, you know who Adam, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the listeners may not, why don't you give us uh well, I mean, he's, you know, he, he was a very, uh, prominent musician and, uh, uh, Dallas for a long time. He was kind of part of that whole, you know, East Dallas scene with, uh, you know, a guy named Jesse Hester who was in a band called Sweet and Morrow. Uh, he later went on to work with Polyphonic Spree, and I know he does some solo stuff. Uh, and he, that, those were kind of all his uh, his roots right there. You know, I think he, you know, knew the guy from Tripping Daisy. And, you know, I'm just kind of speculating. I, I, Jesse, I did meet and actually played 
that was my first like real show. Wow. Was with Nate Wadan, Adam Carter, and I can't remember the guitar player's name. I think it was Jeff. Uh, maybe I could be getting it wrong. And then Jesse Hester, the, the singer songwriter. And, um, you know, we actually made like a record too. Like it's, I mean, it, the songs are good. I, I can't really speak to the, I, we were young. I, I have it somewhere. Every now and then I listen. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Is it out there? Is it? No, public? no, no. It's not out there. He never, he never released it. I just have the recordings. They did it at the kitchen. Wow. Um, and then, well, and it, from what I understand, like, I guess he finished it. And then this stuff with the polyphonic really took off. Gotcha. And, uh, cause you remember when they were like big mm-hmm. and that's when that happened. Like they, like, you know, they all of a sudden, cause I'd never heard of them. And all of a sudden you heard about them all the time. Yeah. And you know, he got picked up by them and he was like, guys, I'm, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. You know? and, that was, and it was like, yeah, you, you should. That's I felt like good. everyone who was playing music around that time knew somebody who got, who just like went off with polyphonic spree. Cause there were so many people in that, in that oh, yeah. group. It was just like, everyone knew oh, yeah, somebody like, Oh, there they went. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, I think the, I think he still plays from the guy who used to be music director up at school, rock Dallas, uh, guy named Ryan uh, was the guitar player for them at some point. He might still be. He's a great, great player. Um, I worked for him for like a blip. Um, so this is anyway. So so get, so getting there. Um, uh, I come back to Texas. I hang out in Dallas for a bit. You know, whatever. I went to Brookhaven, and you know, I was working at Radio Shack for like the longest time. Nice. Uh, yeah, dude. That's Boy. a pretty sweet, actually. I mean, if you're not working at Guitar Center, Radio Shack is in a bad number two. You know, okay, like. you know what? If I would have had uh, just, I guess, I don't know, one-tenth of the maturity level, which is not that high that I have now, <laughs> back then, I probably would have enjoyed that job a lot more because it was pretty cush and like you kind of got to do whatever you wanted. But yeah. I hate. I just hated going to work. I hated. I hated getting up and putting on slacks and a button-up sure. shirt. I mean, that, I mean, that's that's why I haven't had a job like that, in, you know, f- forever. I just, I commend people that can like do the grind, man. And uh, I I, just, I I hope I don't. I hope I don't have to again. I hope I'm able to keep, um, you know, making a living. Uh, so was that intentional? Music. You know, way back then that you were like, were you wanting to pursue music as like a career? Um, I th- back I, then, I I think I always was, and I didn't really admit it to myself for, because the thing was, um, and my dad was a lawyer, and I did I did really look up to him a lot, and I did always think, um, you know, just hearing about his job was very interesting, and he, and he was an oil and gas lawyer, he wasn't like a courtroom okay. lawyer, like he he was for like a blip, and he did some cases, he was like this sucks, and his friend was like, come do this, you get to travel a lot. Um, and my dad loved to travel. So he's like, I'm in, uh, so whatever, but his job was very interesting. And I always kind of thought, you know, I don't know, just for some reason, just the thing of like law, law, just the whole literature of it and everything, just the way it works was very interesting to me. Uh, and you know, he did that. So that was always kind of something like, well, I could do that. Mm. Like I could go to school for music, but then I could still, you know, whatever study, take the LSAT and do that. Uh, but everything I was doing was never towards that. When I got to Loyola, New Orleans, I wanted to be a composition major because I started writing music in high school. I wrote this big, or for senior year in the orchestra, you could do a a, a solo. Uh, and I asked if I could write a song for the orchestra. And they said, okay, well, yeah, sure. Uh, and so I wrote a song for it. Um, 
and so I was very into composing. Like by that, I had gotten the very base version of Finale on the computer, and you could arrange multiple parts. And oh, I, I loved that. You know, it was all MIDI. You know, it sounded like video gotcha. game music, so I, yeah. I kind of liked it. But you know, and I was writing. You know, I was writing that stuff, and um, uh, and when I got to the Loyola, I said I wanted to do that, and the guy, this guy was kind of a dick. <laughs> he was kind of a dick. Uh, I, I think he had good intentions, but he was the largest promoter for music education in the South. And Loyola New Orleans has a very, very uh, good music education uh, department. At least they did. I'm sure they still do. Um, so he said in front of my parents, uh, he like, well, he was like, well, you'll never, you'll never work a day. Or like, you'll never, like, you'll never make any money or something like that. Mm. And I don't know, I kind of got a little defeated by that. And then he started pushing the music education thing on me, which I guess is good. I wound up in music education anyway. I just, <laughs> And not working for somebody. I, I work. Sure. I work for me. Uh, um, but that kind of uh, that that kind of ruined it for me. So I was going to school, and I was like, "I'm gonna be a music teacher, I guess." Like I don't know, but I everything I was doing was always kind of gearing towards uh, you know playing in bands. And I think it was um, when I got. Uh, you know, into my mid twenties and I really, when I was teaching, but not very often. And then I landed this good teaching gig to where I had this autonomy to where I made pretty decent money for being, if you know, at the age I was and the, the bills I had. And, uh, I could, I still had the freedom to have a social life and to create. And, uh, mm. and then shortly after that, I got picked up by, I started doing the cover band thing. And so that was, I want to say that's kind of 26, 27 is when I really started being able to like actually finally pay bills with, with music. Uh, it wasn't, um, and that's when I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing this. You know, like. What year was this? Uh, I want to say, I mean, it's, it's going back. I want to say 2008 is kind of okay. when, because for a while there, like I was playing gigs here and there. I was making like a little bit of money. And then I was, you know, I, and I had, you know, because uh, I hadn't got back to school, you know, I didn't have my degree. So I was, you know, I, was, I would have like, I think at one point I was working at uh, Journeys and like teaching lessons, like, I don't know, one day a week, like it was like three lessons. And then I was working at Journeys at the Golden Triangle Mall. And I was also working at Pita Pit. Peter Pit. Oh, dude, dude! I didn't know you worked there. Well, I'm glad. You know what? <laughs> I, I really tried not to broadcast. Uh, it was kind of a low because the thing is, I had worked so uh, the only corporate job that I've ever had. Uh, I worked for a debt settlement firm. Uh, right. Uh, I I moved into a house with my buddy. Uh, I was uh, I'd kind of gone through a wild time, so I was trying to put some things back together. And my friend, she got me this job at this place called Debt Relief of America. Uh, and I was living in Denton, and this place was off 635 and Forest. And I had to be there at 8 in the morning. Oh and God. it was like, it, it, you know, it paid, I think it was like $12 an hour, and it came with benefits. And what Debt Relief of America was is a debt settlement firm. If you don't know what debt settlement is, I'll sum it up. You are either talking to people who are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, or you're talking to the people who they owe that money to. And, like, it's 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 very sad or angry and it's very angry on this side and it's, i don't know why they had it on the sixth floor because they had those big glass windows i was like somebody's just gonna run out of here one day and i think i worked there for about i don't know 
maybe four or five months. It could have been less. And I was just like, uh, oh, yeah, here's what happened. They were getting sued because I think that settlement was maybe kind of a new thing. At so that this time. is right around the 08 yes, thing, right? Exactly. So everything's changing. Yeah. And it was yeah, yeah. a lot of it was because of the, that. The, yeah. The, price, the crash. Yeah. I wasn't. Prices. OK, so you're, you're right. It's, yeah. it's coming back now. Um, and so I, I they were getting sued. And finally, they were like, all right, so uh, bad news. Um, they're bringing in a whole new customer service department. Uh, it's whatever, J.D. Powers and Associates certified. And uh, so you can either go to a sales position, which is like all commission, may, maybe it had some hourly, uh, or you can take like this like measly severance pay uh, and, um, you know, and, and you got to take a hike. And I was like, well this sucks. Like I'm not yeah. doing this. And I think that's when I, you know, went and I got the job at journeys and Peter Pitt and, you know, then I got a couple of music lessons and then I got that teaching job, you know, through, it was, it was a girl that I was, uh, in a relationship with that time. And it was one of her friends, um, really killer harmonica player named Billy Langley, um, worked at this place called music conservatory of Texas. And he got me a job up there. And that was the first thing that was like, Oh my God, like, this actually like works with my schedule. Like I don't have to be there at like eight o'clock in the morning. Like I did have to dress nice, but like whatever I was getting, it was the first thing. It was like, I am getting consistently paid to, I mean, I sort of play guitar, but you know, and uh, I wasn't a very good teacher in the beginning. I, I picked it up kind of quick. Um, and uh, yeah. And then I just kept doing that. And here we are now. So I mean, that, there's, that's, there's more in between there. Well, of course, of course. No, but that, that, that's really, that is really interesting. In regards to, like, the time between, I guess, then, I guess, earlier on when you were playing with other musicians, um, kind of before we maybe get to the whole crunch you're seeing and seeing okay. everything, yeah. who did you, who were you playing around with? Like, what bands were you in? What bands did you play with? What what, what were you doing in the area during that, like, mid-2000s? Like, so, um, when I, uh, <clears throat> before I moved out to Denton, um, I had this buddy uh, named Brian Felker um, that I met through a high school uh, friend of mine. They had both come back from A&M and I met up with him and we were both like real into Dave Matthews at the time. And, you know, I was into all the fast shit and like he was all the rhythmic guy. And so we got together and we did these songs that he wrote and that's, he knew Perry from A&M, my drummer friend from, you know, back in the day, uh, which ends up in mesh. Um, and, he came down and so we recorded this stuff and we were getting ready for this gig that my buddy from A&M was going to throw. And then like, he just like flaked. And <laughs> I think he like slept through like the, like the point where he needed to like register us as the band oh, or something. Wow. And he was like, sorry guys. I'm like, damn it. But whatever, we all met each other. And then when I moved up to Denton, I found out Perry lived there and I called him and I That's guess cool. I don't, Oh crap. Sorry. I don't remember this, but I guess David George was, he was at that, place with brian and perry uh went back when we recorded this uh this little record for the show that never happened or gotcha. this little just rehearsal for the show that never happened um and i ended up living next door to perry uh when i first moved into denton like literally next door he was in the same apart apartments as me next building so immediately we're like oh we got to play some music together and that was actually right when i met sam too i remember like it wasn't a jam session it was just me sam and perry the mask like yeah like over at my apartment, like listening to Dream Theater and like everybody was like air instrumenting, <laughs> like, you know, Perry's air drumming. Sam was like air basing, probably guitaring too. God, that guy's so good. He's one of oh, my yeah. favorite people. 
on the face of the planet. That dude fucking rocks. Yeah, Sam's great. What? I hope to get him in here someday. That oh, would be, dude, he's really so cool. fucking cool, man. I send he's has one of the best ears, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. And I like every not everything, but I do send him quite a bit of stuff just being like, eh, let me know what you think. And man, he's super cool about like he always takes the time to listen and like the feedback is always like I can tell you actually paid attention. I'm just like, it's good, bro. Yeah. yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Because I think it's total shit. Um, but any, anyhow, um, so I met Perry, uh, and here's how the whole mesh thing happened. I guess uh, I went and saw them play, and um, then uh, the next week, uh, Perry was like, hey, so um, our guitar player... Uh, Went, uh, went to jail because he had like all these unpaid parking tickets. So he can't be at rehearsal tonight. And I don't know if they had problems with his guitar player, if he wasn't a good fit or this was just the one thing. Uh, but Perry was like, he was like, I'm really tired of working with this guy. He was like, you should just come out to rehearsal tonight and I bet Dave will hire you because he's <laughs> kind of over this shit too. And I was like, I mean, I don't want to take the guy's job. And he was like, no, 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 it's don't worry. Like everyone's kind of done with it. Um, and so I guess there was some other stuff too. Oh, and so sure. I went and I showed her the rehearsal and like, yeah, literally after the rehearsal, uh, they was like, so do you want to be in a band? Uh, like, okay. Yeah. And that's how the whole, cause they were already mesh. Like he already had a record that was, it was very days of the new kind of, it was all acoustic, mm-hmm. but it had Perry on drums. And then, um, this guy named Phil Glidewell on bass. And then eventually we hired a guy named, uh, which I can't remember whose friend he was, but his name's Justin Vodder. He's a keyboard player who eventually wound up on bass after we fired Phil at one point. Um, but that's how that whole thing started. And, you know, Dave, like, he started booking shows young. I don't know how long he had been playing gigs, but I think he started uh, pretty early. And so he had all the shows lined up and we just got going. And, you know, it was Dave's whole Southern rock kind of Black Crows, you know, soul, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of feel uh and perry and i were prog rockers so you got this you know it was a unique it was oh man that guy was good he still is i saw a video of him the other day i think he was either playing mashuga or something else that is very mathy yeah you know i feel like that was always just oh it is he has gotten more uh he can he, he he couldn't i wouldn't wouldn't say he couldn't he really didn't like to play like i guess pop mm. poppy i don't know like like Straight. he wanted to play the way he wanted to play yeah. he's he's a I, i've i've seen a lot of videos and he's he's definitely gotten better uh and I, one, it seems like he's more willing to like it's back in the day it was just like he's just i'm not gonna do that shit uh he's, get out of here um but he's because he's a big danny carey guy. yeah that was his yeah, yeah. i mean he loved mike portnoy but like his jam was was danny carey and i remember whenever a new tool record would come out like he, he, I mean, he, he, he would just listen to it like ten. He'd just go in his room and just listen to it like ten times, and they just come out of there and be like, "Wow, that's amazing!" It's maybe you've been in there all day, just like, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. He loved that shit, and he could do it too. You know, he's yeah. real good at it. Yeah. Anyway, and, go ahead. And you guys be- went, became Orchard, Orchard, hmm. and or was that that different lineup? No, 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 no. So that was um, well, it was a different lineup technically. We um. We had uh, we had Phil on bass and Justin on keys, and then Phil left, and then Justin moved to bass, and then Justin, you know, it 
things just kind of took a different direction. We actually kind of split up from like a blip and me and Nate and Adam had a project that never even had a name. And we started writing a couple songs and, um, I guess, um, uh, Nate had to, um, had to move to Kansas. And, uh, so that fell apart and Perry was like, well, David's trying to, you know, get mesh going again. You know, and so I brought, so Adam Carter played for Mesh for a little bit. He's actually on that one record that we put out there as that lineup. Um, and we started playing shows again and, you know, did the record, uh, which was, that was an experience. We probably took too much time and, you know, it was, we were young, but it was fun. Like we, you know, we did it down at this place called Goodnight Audio in Dallas, which I don't know if it's oh, still yeah. there. And we were in there, like, it was like a full month you know, in the, in the studio. And of course we didn't all the way know what we were doing. And we had had a really bad experience with like uh, a producer that they had brought in. So we had Dave's friend come down from Portland and do it. And then to do the mixing, Dave wanted to do it at this. We went to this really nice studio in Oregon city. Um, you know, the first time I'd ever like seen all that stuff like mm -hmm. that. And they're like, Oh, I own this board, $600,000. I'm like, wow, that's so much money. Um, and, uh, you know, we got it mixed and mastered and that was fun. That was the first time I'd been to Portland or maybe the only time, uh, and it, yeah, it was beautiful. That's out cool. There. Yeah. It's it wonderful out there. That was one of the first times I was like, oh my God, like the West coast, I mean the weather, good God, dude. It's so, it's, it's so nice out there, dude. Maybe not now. I don't know. I thought, wasn't it like more that wasn't the asphalt, like <laughs> oh, <yeah>. melting. <laughs> yeah. <early this> summer. <laughs> not now, but, but when I went, yeah. it was like 2003 or 2004. Oh my God. It was awesome. Um, and so we did that up there and then we released the record and we just kind of went about some things, some weird ways. And we had decided because there was another mesh out there that, and this has been the world was smaller too, or felt smaller that we had to change the name. And so we went through all these name changes and i don't know how the hell we landed on orchard like, i remember one time and i've told the story before but now it'll be on the podcast and it's funny we were, <laughs> we were shooting out all these names you know like just back and forth and it, it, we came out with the way we were like what about ghost orchard uh. <laughs> and and so we're like yeah that's it you know there's maybe a little alcohol involved in that decision uh and so we put it on and we, i can't remember where we were playing but they and tonight you know, they had it on the billboard or whatever sign tonight, ghost orchard. We're like, Oh, we got to change that shit. Uh, <laughs> and remember, we called the guy that was like printing our record. We're like, don't do it. Don't, don't, no, no, we're changing it. Um, uh, and, uh, so That's yeah, we funny. landed, we just landed on an orchard and we sat with that. Uh, the thing that happened after we, um, made the record shortly was Adam, Adam left the band and we hired this guy named Dean. It was a great bass player, but it was, uh, it was a very odd fit because he was, he was early thirties, like two kids, you know, had like, uh, he worked at TI and like, he was a pretty responsible guy. And I mean, you knew me and Dave and Perry back in the day. I mean, like we weren't like, like total wild cars, but I mean, we were definitely, we were just young and wild. Yeah. Party. You know? I mean, we, and, yeah, uh, that's what we all were doing. And so it was always kind of like a weird, uh, fit. Um, he was good. He didn't quite have, Adam had the feel, man. He could really sit in, uh, uh, sit back there but this guy was good and we played for about another year and finally perry said uh i'm done with denton i'm moving i'm moving back to houston mm. um and i want to say that was like oh five um uh, and that kind of was like that was kind of like the end of like the regular things for like a while because when perry left like that was like my musician compadre like that was that was my dude like we we could just get in a room and write it didn't matter how crazy it got like we want to you know 
one of the last songs we recorded and I can't find the damn thing anywhere, but it had, we had like, it was like bluegrass and like just straight like double bass, just death metal and reggae that I had all mixed what? together. Yeah, because I remember hearing this like, there's this string cheese uh, song um, off one of the, it was like Carnival 99 and like they go from like, they go from this uh, bluegrass, like real fast kind of double time thing to this blue to this bluegrass beat, and then they take it into this. this I think it was like a reggae beat, and they also would kind of sometimes take bluegrass like into like you know like a calypso or something like that. But it was just this genre melding, and so I was like, I want to do that, but with metal. And uh, so yeah, we had this song that was like all bluegrass, reggae, and then just like chunky ass metal, and it had this super progress. And you know, there was just no, there was no blocks on the creative process. It was just like let's do this, yeah, tip, tip. Yeah. It was awesome. So he moved, and that sucked. Dave started this band called the Sundowners, and I played keys uh, uh, for them, and Nate came in on drums, and we did that for a little bit, and then um, I guess uh. uh we kind of we kind of fell out because it was like christmas time uh it's oh five or something like that they wanted to go do this gig in like i don't know it was way up north like and uh I, it was christmas vacation i was like i don't want to go like i'm not doing it and they're like okay well dan's gonna do it and then when they came back they're like okay well dan's gonna be the keyboard player i'm like all right that's fine like i just kind of missed playing with parent i didn't really want to play uh i it just didn't really want to play those songs like that so mm. that's when I started kind of figuring out what was next, and it was just, you know, kind of one crummy job after another. I had some gigs in there. I remember I did play with this funk band called Mo Brown and Company, and uh, it was uh, it was good music. Um, I, I know it, me and a few of the people, we maybe were uh, partying a little too hard uh, when we were playing the music. It, the, the gigs paid, you know, but it yeah. was like, I was just figuring it out. I played for a band called Audio Overdose, um with uh which uh that for uh, some reason rings a bell for me i don't know why i don't know i mean honestly it was i i had a little bit of fun so, there was some but but it's in an event so the getting to the country part though well like, hold on before we get there you've talked about something uh, a couple of times here with perry and then with these new bands I, and something that i kind of I, I i'm curious about and interested in on people's perspective yeah what is like the magic ingredient when you're working with somebody like you were saying you and perry could just kind of you would just the creative juices would just flow um that's a special thing like mm -hmm. that's that's a not every band not every re oh, musical no. relationship like you're able to actually do that so when you do find those things it's a special like what do you what do you what was it about you and perry you think that made it work but then like what was lacking when you were going to these other places i think part of it is um He's definitely one of those musicians that hears it in his head, you know, before he plays it on the instrument, you know, like it's always going on up here. And, um, you know, some people, it's not like that. It's either happening right now or it's not. Um, and then we, we listened to a lot of the same stuff. So when, you know, when you're listening to music all the time and you, you know, you jam with a musician, especially somebody on another instrument it, um you know he's on drums on my guitar you know we're both big dream theater fans that was kind of the thing we really bonded over was was the dream theater mm -hmm. stuff um uh and I, I liked all the other stuff too but that was the one that we were like yeah that that and you know metallica um and we listen to that shit all the time and so 
he was always kind of playing, you know, he loved John Petrucci's guitar line. So he, you know, he kind of learned to, and you can always tell, like Mike Portnoy would play very much to John Petrucci. I mean, they they play yeah. to each other. Like yeah. the drums follow the guitar in that band. Uh, you know, that's I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's a little too much for some people sometimes because it's so intense. Yeah. You know, they're both doing such intense stuff at the same time often. And so Perry listened to music like that, and I was always kind of hearing these Mike Portnoy tie or just these drum lines that were, you know, in tacit with the guitar. And so I think it was very easy for us to um not know what the other one was thinking, but just kind of feel these changes coming up. Like, cause there's, I think with any kind of music, um, and of course it gets a little, you know, complicated when you get into proggy or stuff, but with any kind of music, uh, there tends to be these sort of signature things, uh, that happen in it. Um, you know, whether it's classical or church music or country, uh, country music has a lot of them. Uh, you know, so does jazz, uh, you know, metal, but even, even proggy stuff, like there's some, you know, like it, I'm not going to try to tap it out or hum it, but like there's certain things in like seven that like a lot of guys will, you know, a lot of musicians will do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you listen to that much stuff, you can kind of, you kind of have this veritable, you know, this, 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 this big toolbox of stuff you can kind of pull out. Yeah. And so I guess we were all, we were using the same tool set. Interesting. So it was very, you know, very easy, uh, you know, to, to communicate, uh, you know, with, with and without words. Um, and I think one of the things, you know, that kind of, uh, we were friends too. We were really tight friends and that helped a lot yeah. because I mean, we talk a lot about music, you know, when you're working a lot of times you, you get lucky and you end up working with some people who are very like-minded musically than you. And sometimes you just wind up where you're all very, very different and you have that show or just like that rehearsal or something to try to get on the same page and, you know, not everyone's willing to, you know, vibe on that same frequency. It just doesn't yeah. happen. And you can't uh, and you can't expect people to do that either. Um, but it is definitely one of the things that I think, uh, you know, if you're trying to make like a really good uh, product and, you know, and these are the guys you have, I mean, maybe, I don't know, rehearse more, like try to like mm-hmm. figure out like that connection or uh, but, you know, I mean, people write songs, they need to hire bands, they need players. It's it is what it is. Yeah. And when you're working, especially, you know, and I I haven't worked out of, you know, uh, the, the, the Southwest, you know, really that much. You know, all my most of my experience, uh, you know, as a touring musician has been here in uh, Texas. But, um, you know, you 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 got to you got to take the gig. Uh, and you just kind of get lucky sometimes you, you can invest in a project and find the right people. It just takes some time. And I, you know, I mean, this is not, so is this a, is not a surprise here. The older you get, the the harder it gets to kind of put that, put that together. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a difference, I guess, in maybe what you were doing creatively earlier. And then when you kind of transitioned into this touring musician where you're playing, you're playing primarily other people's music, right? Were you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, when I played with Troy, you know, we, uh, all the songs were definitely his from the ground up and, you know, we would maybe add a section or, you know, we would cultivate the parts around it, but they were, they were all his. Uh, and the same with Max, you know, he, I remember he wrote maybe one song, one new song that we actually played as a full band. Um, so for the listener, who's Troy and Max? 
Well, yeah, Troy Cartwright is a, you know, he was a, a singer songwriter, you know, here from Dallas uh, that I used to play for back in started in uh, late 2013. And then he moved off to Nashville and, you know, he's, I mean, he's doing well, like, I mean, check his stuff out. Um, you know, he's, and he's, he's doing the pop country thing, but like, he's got his publishing deal. He's got his record deal. He did it right. Uh, you know, we keep up. Um, and I think he just didn't want to go the direction that you do. And at least back then, the, the impression that he had me under was if you stay in Texas, you're kind of like always doing the touring thing. Like there are some guys that like get the songwriter gigs in Texas, but you know, you are, you are playing a lot. You're on the road a lot. Uh, and I think, you know, he just wants to write. He just wants to write songs. So he still plays shows, but he really wanted to get in a position to where, you know, he could get paid to write his own music and he has, and it's, it's awesome. Nice. Uh, Max Stalling is a, you know, Texas country, you know, I mean, legend that guy's been around since, uh, you know, 97. Uh, he was actually a uh, food scientist for Frito-Lay and then like started playing guitar at like 20, 25 and like writing songs. He's got a great voice and like, you know, he was started playing gigs and then was like, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go do this. And um, he's awesome. He is probably one of the nicest people on the planet. Um, and it was, it was more that kind of old school country stuff um, that I did uh, with him. But anyway, yeah, that's who those guys are. Okay. So that that experience of being on the road, playing, what was your take on the whole country scene compared to everything you'd done prior? I mean, it is there is a is <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of stuff that is definitely about the uh, you know, a little bit more about the the bottom line uh because it is one of those gigs that you can do, you know, as a full-time gig or at least like you know, an almost full-time gig and you can do pretty well, but because of that, you know, you really do kind of have to think about that. So you, you know, um, you know, you are playing, uh, if you don't love that music, um, which I don't love it. There's some stuff that I definitely like in there. I, you know, I was, I'm not all of it. Like, uh, there's just, there's, there's just some stuff that I'm like, eh, I could have done without that. Um, uh, honestly love most of Max's music. It's a great songs, but when you don't love it, you know, it's a little bit of work. And I mean it, uh, so yeah. it was a good, uh, experience though, overall, because, you know, I got worked, you know, I had to learn a lot of songs all the time. Um, you know, I learned how to, you know, uh, I learned a lot about getting set up for live. I mean, like one of the things when I was younger, I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about levels and which way the damn amp was facing mattered. I mean, I didn't know shit. I just wanted to play my guitar. I didn't know anything. And I really didn't know, still know that stuff very well until I really got into the country thing. And I just, that's when I started becoming a little more of a gearhead and like, uh, you know, less of a choppy, you know, technical, like flashy player. And it was like, okay, um, my big thing that I got from that was like kind of learning how to play to the song. And it was really challenging because, uh, you know, I didn't think like that musically, but it's, it's been real nice. Overall, it was a good experience. It just, at the end of the day, I would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's overall not my cup of tea. Um, but I mean, I've, I had some great gigs. Uh, I, I got good work, uh, out of it. And I think, you know, anybody who's, uh, you know, a guitar player, or like a anything that if you're in Texas, like learn some country, man. Like, I mean, if you need a paying gig and you want to try something you haven't before, like, 
Because it was like, I did it for ten years. You what, know what three country songs should an aspiring guitar player want to learn if they want to? God, there's so. Many. I mean, don't. I mean, okay, like, see, I'm not really a country guy, even though I was in there. <laughs> so I mean, it, I guess it matters on what era, but I think like everybody should learn Folsom Prison just for that little baritone. Well, that's not a baritone, but that little kind of mm-hmm. low droning line at the beginning, and just uh, you kind of get that Mabel Carter style, you know, picking in yeah, there. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know which ones to learn. I mean, probably look whatever top forty shit is out there now and uh, learn that. I, I think um, you know the. It matters what you're trying to do. Like if you're if you're a singer songwriter, just you probably already listen to it. Like if you're a guitar player. Um, who's trying to kind of get in the scene like geez I, I don't know if there's three you should listen to i don't listen to a lot yeah it's just an arbitrary i think uh i think thing. you know um god it's all leaving me right now uh did it affect you creatively like when you were yeah uh, yeah sometimes i mean um i think it it was just and it didn't affect like i i could create uh for that music and i was i was pretty good there are uh there's guitar players who just kind of you know they're that is their thing and they actually do a lot uh, a lot of interesting stuff uh, in there that i just wouldn't think to do because i was always coming from uh this very um you know technical place so it was, it was always trying to kind of slow down uh for it um but uh it the only thing that affected my creativity was when i was trying to work on my own music and just like get out of music what I loved about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just didn't really have the time to do that. And I was so tired um, when I did that, like I felt like not a lot of good came out. And then it was, there was also, and this is kind of something, this this will lead me into something I uh, kind of a realization I came to the other day that was, that was really good. It may, may help anyone to hear if they're kind of stuck in a rut. Um, but, you know, because I was teaching and I was gigging and I was just, you know, I was like off on Sundays and just dead tired. And it's like I was trying to get stuff done and I was never really releasing anything because uh, then there's such a tremendous pressure to release content today, you know. And um, I think, you know, some people, they get kind of bogged down because they feel like they're doing they're doing themselves a disservice and they're not any good because they're not releasing anything and it's just getting farther and farther down the line and slave to the algorithm and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a writer, if you're a creator and you know, you're an artist, you just like to express if you're always, uh, and somebody said this to me the other day, this is where I got this. It was a, in a you know, friendly acquaintance. Um, and, uh, say if you're like, if, if, cause I don't do it really to make money. Like I, I, I write and I make this stuff because it's, it's just, it's, I enjoy it. That's what I, I it, it, it just, you know, I, I want to do it. And so the goal is not, you know, necessarily to make money. I mean, you, you do need to make some, but if the goal is writing and you're doing that every day and you're always creating, then you're meeting your goals and like, you're not, you're not doing yourself a disservice because you're not releasing everything and everything's not perfect because I don't have that much material out there, but I'm proud of the, you know, the small amount of that I do have out there. And there's a lot. Uh, and I'm also proud of all the stuff that I don't have out there too. 
And I think it wasn't until recently that that kind of really flipped my perspective because mm -hmm. I got very bogged down by that thing too. I mean, there's all these social media platforms, there's all these algorithms and which time of day do you post and what are you doing? Like, nobody's going to buy your shit. And oh my God. And you know, and it's, and at the end of the day, I was like, well, wait a second. I've got a job. Like I teach, I work for myself. Uh, you know, I get some gigs. Like I have some pretty good autonomy and like, yes, I might not be releasing a whole ton of content, but I am still creating and expressing and writing and being an artist every single day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I felt better about that. And I think that maybe, hopefully that would help somebody else that feels like they've just got a million projects that they've never finished and very little actually out there. Cause it does, it does bog you down. And it, I just, I guess it matters which, which way you look at it. Um, but uh i i know we kind of trailed off from no, no, uh, but but yeah so it no, never it, it never really hampered my creative process it just made me i didn't feel as good about what i was doing because i had so little time to do it and i wasn't doing very much with with what i was doing in that little time yeah uh but when covid hit and all the gigs got canceled and i decided you know to just do the teaching um all that came back, you know, and I started, uh, you know, feeling good about, you know, writing all that stuff again. It was, yeah. uh, it was such a rush of freedom right at the beginning. And I just, it, for me, like, you know, no, no bad blood on anything. And it, with any of that country scene, it just, uh, it got a little grueling near the end. Yeah. And if you're not on a, a bus or a sprinter and you're not, you know, cause I never made it, made it. I was, I was just working, you know, I was making, making good enough money, but it gets rough after a while, man. You know, and some people are cut out for it forever. I know that there's there's people, you know, they can be, they're 50, 60 years old, you yeah. know, still riding around in the van doing the thing and like. But their heart's uh, in it, right? Like their heart's their like heart, really in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of the thing if you're and, not. And that was the thing. If I was riding around in a van, 60 years old, and I was just playing like, you know, psychedelic prog blues jams where it was just like 90 minute guitar solos and like everybody knew music theory, like badass. And we just hit all these <laughs> weird changes. Yeah. I would do that shit until I dropped dead. Like I would be like 92 up there, uh, uh, you know, but whatever I do it, like I don't, yeah. And, and yes, I mean, just country, country music had, there's a lot of merit to, uh, learning it, even if you're not a country guy, but no, it was definitely not, uh, the scene for me, uh, you know, forever. I don't know if somebody came out with like a big fat check, you know, a big fat check and was like, how about this? Like, well, maybe for like a few years. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It, you know, money does unfortunately well, uh, change things, at least just in the initial kind of upfront. Cause you're like, Ooh, I could take care of this. Well, that, and that's the thing. And I guess that's maybe where we can, where we can end. Cause I feel like we've covered a lot in this conversation. It's been, it's yeah. been very, very fantastic. But like another thing I'm really interested in, and we can maybe elaborate as much as you want to on this. Um, the financial aspect of the, of being a musician. So like you've managed, which not everybody has, who's like that I know who set out to make money playing music. Like you've managed to do it to where you, you teach and that is like, you're playing music and you're teaching music to make money, but then you're also still doing your creative, producing your own independent work and then selling that as well. Right. So like what, where's the tension and like, where is the. I guess in your decision-making process, like where do you prioritize the money versus the, the, the music? I mean, I, let me think on how to answer that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's something no, no, we all struggle with. No, know? well, I try, it's kind of not, I mean, like 
because it's separate. It's all kind of all one thing to me. Does that make now. it easier or harder that it's one thing? I guess for me right now it makes it easier. But the thing is, right now I have complete autonomy, like which is it's. I hope that I have it forever. Um, I I know that I'm I'm very blessed with the situation I have. It took a long time to get there, but uh, you know. I guess it's uh, the money matters. You know, I've got to pay my bills. But over the years, you know, I figured out how many students I need to have. And then, you know, kind of like what areas I want to teach in. And, um, you know, just I, I show up there and I do a good job. And it's these it's these I teach in these very close knit neighborhoods that they just my name travels around. Uh, and, you know, it's gone on this way now for, you know, over 10 years. Um, I've never actually put a whole lot of money into marketing or like a website or advertising myself. I've just, you know, I just got in these areas where people are very tight knit and I did a good job and they continue to tell other people about me. And so after a while, just figuring out how to route the lessons, where to teach and the kind of like what my policies would be. Cause there was a, there was a bunch of stuff that was kind of hard in the beginning, especially when I was gigging at the same time doing the country thing. Like I would have to reschedule lessons. It, you know, it's kind of, it was just kind of a tricky thing. And then you've got to learn with other people's schedules and kind of how to like put your foot down and say like, you know, somebody calls you like the day of and they're like, sorry, we got a miss. You'd be like, you're paying for it, you know, and just learning to make some of those I don't know, more adulting calls. Uh, but then also the other important thing was how do I make enough money, but still leave myself the space in the day or the week or whatever to have, you know, the freedom to, you know, still be creating and working on my own stuff and, you know, possibly making some money off of it. Um, but, uh, and that's, that's where the, the tension is. It's finding it's, it's not prioritizing because I know how mm. much of how much needs to be in there. It's finding the, it's making it work. You know, it's, it's getting each piece of the pie, you know, the right, the right size. Gotcha. That's the hardest part because I know what it needs to be. Like I know about how many hours a week I need to teach. And, you know, I, I know how many, you know, like I know, like when I have to do, you know, something on like something like freaking rigorous on like a Sunday or something. Like I am not, a, I, I'm not in a good way on Monday because I didn't have my day yeah. to like, you know, like whether it's chillax or whether it's like, just get in there and just like sit there. Cause some days I'll just sit there and I'll just write riffs all day. And I'll have these, you know, these project files that are just riffs or like keyboard parts. And, you know, and I'll come back and listen to it. But if I don't have like one, like, so I just need to know how much it needs to be. And then as far as the money thing, I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, it sucks that, <laughs> you know, you have to, it, you know, I mean, money sucks. I mean, it's it's good too, but it also sucks. You know, like yeah. you know, we used to just trade shit. It was like, hey, you fix my fence, I'll give you some beans. Yeah. Oh, I actually need beans, and I'm good at fixing fences. So you know, the money, but whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, think the yeah. biggest thing though was like accepting the certain, you know, some of the things I like kind of had to do. Like, you know, I don't want to always go teach. You know, certain students. I don't. Uh, want to necessarily like some gigs that I'll get, like, I don't, I don't want to learn, you know, two hours of covers or something like that. Yeah. But it's like, you know what? Like, I mean, you're still getting to play guitar, like just, 
just do it. Yeah. So, and that was probably the hardest thing uh, for me uh, for as sure. far as the money tension part was like the things that, you know, no matter how much you're doing what you love, I mean, you're always going to have to do, you're going to have to do a project here and there that you're like, mm. yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I don't know. That's kind of the thing that I feel like all, all of us musicians, but all artists too, whatever you, we have to sell ourselves to kind of do our thing. But at the same time, like to me, make having to monetize it kind of like alienates us from from the thing that we created and it maybe for a different purpose i don't know it's been weird becoming a teacher yeah because now i have a stable income never really had that my entire life because i've been in and out of kitchens and all that sort of stuff and so like up until this point all the music i created i wanted to create was with with bands you know with raven charter with huffer and with all these other bands um there was a money component of it like that was always there it was just always kind of like a hovering well we gotta we gotta do this or that we at least have to make even on the t-shirts or at least make even back make our money back on the recording um and now like now that i don't have to worry about that is and i can just make music and go like i don't really give a shit if if i make any money on it or yeah um that's been like a liberating thing and i've really only recently just kind of had a chance to kind of ponder about it now that we've put out volume is power and so that's that's what i was just kind of why i was asking because i was wondering like if 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 you feel that like the financial aspect like inhibits your creativity or just i don't know no it's definitely got i mean the thing is the teaching thing is my own so like in a way that is an avenue for me to be creative because i i do feel like i have my own style and a couple of my own you know, tricks and just tips as a teacher, uh, you know, whether it's on guitar or, or piano. Um, so, you know, I get to, I, I get to be an artist in that aspect in, 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 in some way. Um, and that's mine. Like, you know, that's, that's all mine. That's true. Like, and, and, you know, they, and I, I feel really good about, you know, growing so like that. And that's the thing that makes the money too. So, you know, I have to like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't have to like it, but I mean, I do like it. You know, I, I do like teaching. I like when people generally, when they're like genuinely want that knowledge. Yeah. Uh, like the, especially when they get to the musical knowledge that I think is very, very important. I'm not just talking about theory. There's all sorts of different important concepts. I am overjoyed to show that stuff to them and to really, really go into depth. Absolutely. So I do love it. As far as my own music, I would love for it to earn some revenue one day, but I do not, uh, I do not think about it like like that because it. Um, and maybe I'm sure there's some people out there that are like you should. Uh, it, it makes me crazy, and honestly, you know, w- you know, we. I feel like I'm still playing catch up with a lot of the way things work uh, on online now. I mean, I'm no, you know, I'm not like a tech idiot. Like, I mean, I know my way way. <laughs> way around stuff but like as far as those these algorithms and promoting it and how to advertise it and who to trust there's so much out there right now that i'm like okay like i'll just keep working on stuff and keep writing and releasing what i feel good about and i'm just gonna learn this stuff at my own pace and you know like if i feel like i've got it down one day maybe i'll put a little more into it if i got some extra capital maybe i'll hire somebody you know, that I trust, like, and plus, how do you vet half these places? You know, you put up like a video and they're like, promote it, promote it. Like, I mean, thanks, but like, who are you? Like, it's just, you know, there's so many out there. There's like a, you know, million pages that are just like, we'll promote your music. It'd be like, okay. Yeah. It's a whole industry. It is. It is. It's a whole thing. And it's like, you know, I, um, 
So I don't worry about the money aspect with that stuff. I just make sure that I can, that I have the time to do it. Uh, Cause if I don't have the time to do it and I'm just, you know, hitting the road all the time and then, you know, doing the lessons and, and then that's it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just, yeah, it gets kind of, it's, I, it makes, it makes me go, Oh, I wish I'd done something else or whatever. I should have mm-hmm. gone to school for finance. And then I'm like, no, that sucks. I don't want to think like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I love this. So yeah, it's all about just keeping the, it's, it's keep keeping the balance and, you know, not biting off more than you can chew. I think a lot of musicians and a lot of artists do that. You know, it's more of a younger thing, but some people kind of get trapped in it. You know, you just say yes to every single project. Yeah. And, and it's good to be hungry. You know, it's great to be hungry and to say yes to all of it and do it especially early uh, on. especially early on you know especially when you're getting your feet wet but like you also got to learn like what works for you uh yeah and you know had i been in a band which made it big and we were on buses and super nice hotels and it was you know all i had to do was play those shows and it was paying all my bills i'm sure i would think differently but that didn't happen you know my path in life just led me to you know to where i am now and finding the balance and that, you know, like learning to say, I mean, saying yes to things, of course, but like also learning to say no to some stuff yeah. is one of the things that really kind of helped me because I would say yes to everything. And then before I knew it, I had all these commitments to all these people that I really didn't have the time or the resources to, you know, fulfill. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up, you know, I would let people down and also, let myself down too and just feel uh worn out so yeah you know take the gigs and do the work but also you know you don't have to take every single one i think a lot of you know there's a big there's a lot of that fomo um in uh in in being a musician because especially when you're a guitar player yeah because you know if you say no they're they call another guy uh or a girl. I don't want to be sexist. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they call another guitarist. Most of my students are girls. I don't know about you. Uh, I did. Yeah, it's about half and half. Half and half. Um, and you call another guitarist. Uh, and maybe that guy does really well. And you never get the call from those people again. And there's so many out there that you don't know which one is going to be, you know, but, a, but plentiful gigs are plentiful gigs. Yeah. And you always, you know, want to try to leave that good mark. So I think it's it's very hard for a lot of uh, musicians to turn down gigs to have their creative space and or not do something that they really, you know, don't don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like also if uh, and it's hard to do this, you have to, you know, you have to get a ho- hold on your finances and f- figure what you can do without, you know, sometimes and. Uh, and I'm not no god on this any anyhow. So you know, if any of my friends hear this and be like, "What the, the shut up, Glenn?" Like <laughs> this isn't like I'm not like a you know a, an authority on this, but I will say, um, you know, fi- you know, uh, figure your shit out, and then you start taking things that are right for you. Yeah. And you know, I feel like if you're doing the thing you're supposed to do and your heart's in the right place, that like you will create that market of stuff that is that is good for you like i feel like you know it just like you know you're you're trying to aim it at the right people you're trying to sell yourself to the right people uh you know what the the, the thing the things that are the things that are good for you and it's good for them too um 
But does, like, yeah, does that, does that make, does that make yeah. sense right there? Like I had to start saying no to certain, you know, areas of teaching, you know, this is on a smaller scale, obviously, uh, you know, or n- this isn't quite so metaphorical with the personal time, but like just with the, you know, the money and the things that were good for me. Like I would say, I have to say no to certain people when I would take every single lesson. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, you know, that's, that's good life advice too. Yeah. Just like, gotta learn to set boundaries. You know, I mean, you know, you know there's always those people who like, uh, you know, they want to help all their friends with everything. Yeah. And it's like, man, like you can't like pray for them. Like, but you know, you, you, you can't do it all. Yeah. You can't do it all. And that's, and that's kind of the thing because like back to kind of what you were saying in a moment ago, we got to have that time and that space to be able to create. We have to rest and we have to, you know, yeah. and if we, if we aren't able to create that for ourselves then it does affect what we're doing. So awesome. That that's been fantastic, Glenn. I really appreciate you. Well, here. I appreciate being here. It's been a great and rambling on and on and on and on. <laughs> so that's fantastic. And we'll probably do it again down the road if you're cool uh, anytime, man. Awesome. Anytime. I can ramble anytime. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All right. 